You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data app. So uh, yesterday I had two additional episodes. If you're interested in either, go check them out. I have the stock market game um, updates. I also did a brief uh, podcast about the Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Kingsley Kiki situation. Um, I woke up this morning and read another article, uh, got slightly more detail about what happened. And as I was thinking about it, um, I really think there's a good chance he doesn't get suspended. As I'm thinking about it, I you know again the NFL just does whatever they want. They just kind of make up rules as they go along. However, if you think about it, um, I'm reading this article here from Total Packers, and they did bring up a good point as far as it was his first infraction. So maybe they'll be a little lenient on him. Although I don't think Geronimo or Aaron Jones had any other prior infractions. But the one thing that I think actually works massively to his advantage is the fact that Rashawn Gary and Kingsley Kiki are in his car. And apparently, uh, the interaction with the police officer, well, so what happened is that the cop could smell it, pulled the guys out, then he couldn't smell it anymore, so they said, okay, it's in the car. So they go into the car, they find it in a duffel bag. Then when questioned about it, Zadarius apparently said, what weed? And then said, all right, you know what, I'll put it on me. In other words, I'll take the fall for it. Now, legally, obviously, he got slapped with it, but the NFL is doing an investigation to determine if he should be suspended. He legitimately has some plausible deniability. Now, I mean, if if he's smart, he's just going to come out and say, look, I took the fall, and just leave it at that. Because the NFL, which I really do think wants to be lenient on this, because they know it's a losing issue. They know that nobody likes the fact that they're going to suspend somebody for weed. So this is sort of their opportunity to show that they're being more progressive on this issue, while at the same time sort of having an out by saying, look, you know, it's against the rules, but we don't actually have any actual evidence that he did anything or even knew about it, which is kind of stupid. Obviously, they know that he knows. The whole car smelled like weed, and he's driving 80 miles an hour, 20 miles over the speed limit, 21 miles over the speed limit, in a construction zone, which is something else I had missed, which is just a double automatic. Like, come on, man. But they're, they're in my mind, I don't know. But Zedarius seems definitely like a good guy, and there's no question the NFL is going to take character and and priors into account. Um, And the fact that, again, they don't know 100% that he even knew about it, much less it was was his to begin with. And, And he's got a long history of leadership. He's out with two rookies. Very possible that it was not his. He had nothing to do with it. He never touched it. You know, Rashawn and Kingsley went and got some and stashed it in a bag. He didn't even know about it. Again, very impossible because the whole car smelled like weed, but decided to take the fall for it. And again, they they can't really prove that isn't the situation. So, I don't know, just a thought. There is a good chance that, or I shouldn't say a good chance, there there is a chance, and I do think that that is helpful, that there were three people in the car, and his first comment when asked about it was, what weed? And then his his admission essentially was, all right, I'll take the fall. I don't know, just, just saying. I'll, I'll say I would not be surprised if they decide not to take disciplinary action. And if they do, it wouldn't be surprising if it was less than Aaron Jones. In other words, he got one day instead of two days. 
Not that that's a good thing, but, you know, anyways, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Anyways, beyond that, we got some big news to talk about today. Yesterday, if you were in the Facebook group, you probably saw I posted a live video. Why do I say live? It's not live. It was live when I did it, but then I recorded it and showed it in the group. I showed you a recorded video of the drawing of who won the jersey. And for those of you that don't have Facebook or aren't in the group, the winner of our second signed jersey giveaway is Mr. Mike Hebring. Hebring. Going with Hebring. Feels better. Feels stronger. It's like Sebring, which isn't really a strong car. Whatever. He already knows he won. He messaged me. Um, so, Mike, as I said, shoot me a message on which jersey you want, and uh, Mr. Jacob will get that sent out to you. The only request that I have is that you uh, take a picture and shoot it out on Facebook and Instagram and wherever else you can saying thank you. Little nice little promotion for this here podcast. Otherwise, again, um, at 600, which is 96 away, we will be doing a signed Dean Lowry 8x10 giveaway. Now, I was thinking about it. Here's what I want to do with that. You can opt out if you choose because the winner of that is going to be removed from the jersey giveaway. So if you really want that jersey and you don't want to be opted out, you can opt out if you win, but I would suggest you don't do that. If you win a 1 in 600 competition, don't give it up and assume you're going to win the 1 in 600 jersey. Just a suggestion, but you have that option. So if you win, you can say, I'm going to opt out, I want the jersey, and we'll do the drawing again. Does that make sense? That's how we're going to play this. Um, T-shirts are coming along. Still working on it. It's going to take some time getting the designs down and everything else. But I'm excited to uh, start unveiling some of those and be able to get some out to you guys. And then an unbelievable special thank you to the donors. For those that don't know, um, I decided to start from now until Christmas. I'm trying to raise $1,000 for the... uh, calling it Packers Fans Against Cancer, but it is the Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. Please feel free to check it out. Again, for those of you that are skeptical like I am, please understand. First of all, donations 100% tax um, deductible because it is a registered nonprofit. But again, please check it out. Make sure that it's in line with your beliefs and everything else. And also understand, I cannot touch this money. It is linked directly to their account. I know there's some shady stuff out there with people that say, oh, my dog is dying and my whole family is dying of cancer. I need $10 million. They get $10 million and then they take the money and like, ha I don't even have a family. Which is sad, but you know, you can't be stealing people's money. But uh, we are already in two days over $200. So at this rate, we'll be at 1000 bucks in another eight days, which I don't expect, but I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much to Henry, Adam, Todd, and Jordan. Every donation is a massive help, even if it's just a buck, whatever you can give. Um, Again, anything that you are planning to give to me, please postpone that. We'll be kicking that back up um, in January. So after Christmas, I'll be begging you for money, which is appropriate because I'll be very broke because I tend to be generous with my children also. I always start with a budget that's super strict, and my wife thinks, like, oh, that's too strict. We got I'm like, no, we're doing a budget. And then by the end of it, like, I'm just spending all this money. Like, oh, we get this and this, and I'm out of control. So I'm going to need your money then. But right now, any and all donations that you are planning, please, please, please consider giving to the uh, Madison Childhood Cancer Foundation. There is a link in the description of this show. It's right underneath where I write what all the stuff is. If for whatever reason you can't see it, just find a way to get a hold of me. I will get you the link. And again, thank you so much. Oh, and there is going to be a signed... Is Dean Lowry coming here? So now I'm confused. Anyways, there is a signed 8x10 giveaway that will be given to uh, one of the donors. We'll do a drawing on that as well. But anyways, why don't we take our break? And uh, preliminaries being set aside, we'll start talking about the 
Packers versus the L.A. Chargers. All right, let's talk about this little my bookie minute here. So they're not budging. Four points is it. I don't, I mean, it, it, look, bottom line is my bookie and Vegas are looking at this and they're saying you guys are wrong. This is going to be a tight game because four points is kind of nothing. I would have expected, considering how much the Chargers are struggling, this would be a little bit higher, but they're obviously seeing the strengths of the Chargers, and they're leaving it at what it's at. Over-under, however, is up to 49, so that continues to go up while we see the um, the spread stay right where it's at. So lack of defense, maybe? I don't know. If you're interested in putting some money down on this, again, let me encourage you to use my bookie. Whether it's the score, whether it's the spread, money line, or if you want to wait until later today or tomorrow when the prop bets come out and see what they got for us, MyBookie is going to be the right place to put it down. And the biggest reason is that when you sign up at MyBookie.ag, you use promo code OVERTIME and they're going to match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, new users are going to get their first deposit doubled. So for those of you that are um, English majors, if you put down $20, they will also put in $20 and you will have $40 to place a bet mybookie.ag you play you win you get paid in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so let's start with one of my actually favorite things to do, and I don't really know why, but I really do enjoy doing this, and that is looking at correlations between what needs to happen for this team to win and what needs to happen for this team to lose, talking primarily about the L.A. Chargers then sort of cross-referencing that with the Green Bay Packers to try to get a sort of general idea of what we're looking for in this game in terms of scoring, yardage, interceptions, whatever. Sometimes it's a little easier to find than others. Um, But looking at this, starting with the score, first of all, I can tell defensively there isn't a whole lot to go on here. A big part of that reason probably is the fact that they actually do a pretty good job on defense. The thing is, though, there's really no correlation. They did win the game in which they gave up the least points and lose the game in which they gave up the most points. However, the second lowest points the defense allowed was 13, and they lost that game because the offense could only muster 10. On the flip side, the second lowest they gave up was 24 points, and they're 1-1 and when they give up 24 because on one time the offense put up 17, the other time the offense put up 30 and won in overtime. 
So it kind of is giving me the impression. I mean, this is pretty steady if you look at the defense. 10, 13, 16, 20, 23, 24, 24, 27. Either like really low scores or pretty moderate. You know, 23, 24 is not bad. And 27 is your worst day. That's a pretty good day. So again, the impression I'm getting is a pretty solid, steady defense, but a wildly out-of-control offense, hence the reason the offensive coordinator was probably fired. There does seem to be much more of a correlation between the offense winning or the offense doing well and and winning and losing, but not directly. But the only real mishap here was the Chicago Bears throwing a wrench in this whole thing because the Chicago Bears couldn't overcome the Chargers only scoring 17 points. So we can kind of disregard that a little bit and basically look at it and say, look, if the Chargers are garbage like they have been all year, which is to say, with the exception of two games, here's the scores they've, they've put up. 20, 20, 17, 17, 13, 10. And then twice they put up 30 and won those two games. So either the offense is clicking and puts up a 30-banger and wins the game because the defense is going to hold you to less than 27, probably closer to 23, 24 points, or the offense can't quite get over 20 because they're playing like garbage, and then they lose because although the defense is doing a good job, the offense is not pulling its weight. Now, if we contrast that with the Packers, there was the one game they scored 10. However, when you look at the fact that the Chargers offense has only put up over 20 points once, in other words, 20 or less six times, the Packers have only scored less than 20 points, or I should say 20 or less once, and that was week one against the Bears. Since then, their lowest was week two against the Vikings. They scored 21. After that, it was 23, 27, 27, 31, 34, 42. And two of those really high scores came in weeks seven and eight. In fact, three of the four came in the last four weeks. So even if the Chargers muster 30, there's a chance the Packers win this game. Not a super good one because, again, the defense is, is pulling its weight. Although, let me let me show you this real quick. The Dallas Cowboys, the Packers 30, put 34 points on them. You know what their defense has allowed this year? 24, 21, 17, 12, 10, and 6. That is one of the best defensive... I mean, that's better than what the Chargers have done this year. That's incredible. Outside of the Packer game, they've only allowed two games over 20. Otherwise, 17, 12, 10, and 6 is what the defense has allowed. The Packers put up 34 points on them. So they're kind of equal opportunity in their um, in their smackdowns. You know what I mean? Good defenses, bad defense, doesn't matter. Kind of just going to take it to you either way. So I, I will say, I mean, it's kind of twofold. We need the offense and the defense. We need the defense because... Uh, most importantly, their offense kind of needs to not click. And if we can get their offense to have another pretty standard day where they're struggling to put up 20, it's kind of already in the bag. The other side of that for the offense is kind of just, I don't need, we don't need a superhuman effort, although we would appreciate it. Kind of just need you to not lay an egg, right? Just don't go out there and be like, oh man, we're having an off day. We really could use that by, oh shucks. Nah, not playing that, man, right? Or Devontae's back. Let's throw out everything we've learned over these last few weeks with Devontae out and just start staring him down so that it becomes easy to defend the Packers again because all they have to do is double him and they don't know what to do anymore. Right? Just just do a good job. If the defense can make sure the Chargers offense does what the Chargers offense has been doing pretty much all year, which is to say 17 to 20 points, and the offense kind of goes out and just does a decent enough job, doesn't have to be a 30-banger, you want to do 25, you know, that's, last I checked, 25 is higher than 17. I feel like they'd give us the win in that scenario. We'd have to go to the scorecard, but I'm pretty sure. 
Turnovers, again, nothing super high correlation. Um, you know, when you go to the extremes, like zero turnovers, they had one game only this year with zero turnovers, and they won that game. And it was against the Dolphins, so big round of applause for that one. And uh, they had two games with three turnovers and lost both of those games. No shocker. Very hard to win a game with three turnovers unless you are the Chiefs playing the Do- the uh, Lions, and the Lions decide to turn it over 19 times, give the ball right back to you. However, with two turnovers, they're 1-1, one and one, and with one turnover, they're 1-2. and two. And in that game against the Colts, they were actually minus 2 in the turnover column. They gave 2 away. The Colts didn't take the ball away even once, which is the only game, by the way, that the Chargers defense didn't have a turnover. They still ended up winning that game. So again, usually a little bit stronger of a correlation, but there's always going to be a really, really strong correlation when you get to the high numbers, right? No turnovers, you got a pretty good shot, especially if the other team does turn it over. Three or more turnovers, really good chance you're going to lose this game. And that's what we got. In between, eh. And even for the defense, the most turnovers they've had is uh, two, and they are one and two when they have two turnovers. They are one and three with one turnover, and they're one and oh with no turnovers. So very strange. But again, it's just it's just a disorganized team. Specifically the offense. It's it's you know, it's not a matter of we're better, it's not a matter of everything's going in our favor. It's kinda of just a matter of we're kinda of trash, right? And it, I'm I'm not even speaking to the players because I, I've I've outlined that the players are pretty good. Keenan Allen is a top tier wide receiver uh in the same category as Devontae Adams. Melvin Gordon, although struggling, is a very talented running back. Austin Eckler is the top receiving back in all of football. It's a good group, but they're not playing like a good group at all. Phillip Rivers, good quarterback. Not really playing like it, though. With that said, though, you look at the, the Packers and you still got a matter of it's it's really a strong correlation with the defense, very similar to the Chargers. And it feels like the defense is slipping. Um, and as far as yardage, they've done a pretty, I mean, almost terrible job with some of these games, giving up 563 yards to the Cowboys, 400 yards to the Raiders, 400 yards to the Vikings. But as far as the scores, which really is all that matters, we're still just looking at the Eagles going over 30, which is their one win, or excuse me, well, the Packers' one loss. Otherwise, not one team has scored over 24 points. Not one. I mean, impressed with the Chargers for what they've done for only allowing one in the 30s and then the next highest being 27. The, the defense has allowed one in the 30s and not one over 24. Three teams have scored 24 points. That seems to be the money number. The Raiders, the Cowboys, and the Chiefs all scored 24. In every single one of those games, the Packers have gone over 30. One of them, the Raiders, they went over 40. So again, you know, even though it feels like the offense is starting to carry this team again, what we're seeing is the offense is really taking off, but the defense is still holding its end of the bargain. There's a lot of problems, and, and the reason I harp on the problems, some people don't get why I do this. Like, what, Why are you complaining? We're, we're winning, and the defense is keeping them out of the end. The reason is it makes me nervous that the points are kind of just a facade. Because there's a high correlation, believe it or not, between being able to throw the ball at will, being able to run the ball at will, and points. And if we don't get the stopping the run, stopping the pass thing figured out, my belief and my fear is that we're not going to be able to keep people out of the end zone every time. Some of these things are flukes, right? Uh, Car fumbling the ball into the end zone is a fluke, right? Bad passes that result in picks are kind of flukes. I'm very excited that we got guys that can come in real, real hard, real, real that are solid on third down, that are solid in the red zone. That's great, but I'm worried that when that when that dam breaks open, all of a sudden we got floodgates. And, and maybe it doesn't, but I would just feel a lot more comfortable if we could just fix some of those issues, right? Get a little bit better in the middle of the defense, 
i.e. Kenny Clark, please, 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 please start playing better. I understand he's doubled a lot. He was doubled a lot last year. You know who else has double teamed a lot? Aaron Donald. Guess who the best defensive tackle in football is? Aaron Donald. The guy's literally triple teamed and gets to the quarterback. And I know Kenny Clark isn't Aaron Donald. I'm just saying I don't like excuses. If we're going to call him the best def- one of the best defensive tackles in football, that's fine, but I'm going to hold him to that standard. I don't understand why some fans want to call him something but then ho- don't hold him to the standard. Oh, he's, he's one of the best. Yeah, he's kind of struggling, though. Oh, well, he's doubled, though. Okay, well, the best defensive tackles in football beat double teams. So do you want to revoke that from him and just say he's just a defensive tackle? Because you got to pick a lane here. I love Kenny. And understand, I'm not trashing him. I'm just saying I still believe he's one of the best, and I just want him to start playing like it again. I'm not going to be logically inconsistent on this issue. If you're comfortable with it, you can keep doing it. I can't do it. It has to be one or the other, and I'm not giving up on Kenny. I'm not going to remove that title from him because I believe he is one of the top. I believe he he is worthy of being called a top five defensive tackle in football, but he's not playing like it, double teams or not. We do need Kevin King to play better. I know nobody wants to hear it. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, graded as one of the worst corners in football right now. He's had a couple good games. He's impressed me a lot this year with, with certain, you know, multiple games of just being locked down. One of the weeks he was one of the best corners in football. And again, I, it's, it's, it comes down to consistency for him. And even Jair a little bit. He's, he's, most of the time he's a lockdown. He's kind of the anti-Kevin King. Kevin King's like got two really good games. Jair's got two really bad games. The rest of the time he's a lockdown corner. Kevin needs to step up. Tremont is a better co- Everybody, every corner that we've had on this team so far is a better corner than Kevin King right now. Yes, the competition. I get the competition. Same rule applies for Kevin King. If you want to say he's gone up against tougher competition because he's the number two corner and it's harder, that's fine. But you got to stop calling him a great corner because great corners can stop number two wide receivers. But anyways, again, they, they are doing a good job. I'm just concerned. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm not concerned because they can't stop it and the dam is about to break. I'm just concerned that they're not going to get this rectified, knowing full well they can. Even if you don't go out in free agency. A lot of people are saying we got to go out and get this. and this. No, we don't. We just need the guys we have to play better. We know Kevin King can play better because we've seen it. Just do it more often. We know Kenny Clark can be better because he's been better every year he's been in Green Bay. We know tackling can get better because, I mean, it's tackling. I know you know how to do it. Just please do it better especially our DBs. I mean, just literally some of the worst tacklers in football are Jair, Kevin King, um, Savage now is, is joining that list. I know giving him a little bit of leeway because he just came back, but he had a really, really brutal game in coverage and tackling and everything. Just need more consistent because the talent's there. Same with Savage. All right, I'm not worried about Savage. I'm not saying he's trash or a bust or any of that stuff. I'm just saying he's better and we just need to start seeing it because we're, we're getting closer to the end. And by the time we get to the end, it's going to get real tough. Right, when we come out of this bye and play the 49ers, you guys got to be on point. When we go on this three-game stretch against divisional opponents, none of these games are guarantees. The Chicago Bears are not a guaranteed win. That is a very, very good defense. The Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota, prob- I'm, I'm honestly more worried about that game than the 49ers game. I think the Vikings are better than the 49ers. That's my opinion. We'll see what happens when we get there. But the 49ers have nearly lost the last two weeks to two of the worst teams in football. I'm just saying. Granted, the Vikings haven't had the hardest schedule either, but I, I just, I, I'm just more worried. I think Kirk Cousins is playing better than Garoppolo. They have better wide receivers. They have a better running back, and arguably a better defense. I mean, linebackers are better. Pass rushers are possibly better. I mean, nobody's going to say that because everyone's in love with the 49ers pass rushers. But statistically, the Vikings pass rushers are better. 
safeties, I think, are better. I mean, just everything about the Vikings are better. Now, that doesn't, again, what I talked about yesterday, that doesn't necessarily correlate to being a better team. There's more to it than just the individual pieces, i.e. the Chargers. But anyways, how did we get here? I don't even know what's going on. So we need the defense to stay stout. I would like to see a better overall performance in which the Chargers struggle to do things, where the Packers are stopping the run and stopping the pass and whatever, but if we can just hold them to 24 points, we should have done our job. Um, Further evidence of the defense being one of the most important components, the Eagles game was one of the better statistical games that the offense has had. Um, As far as you look at the first downs, the second highest number of first downs the Packers had was 24 against the Dallas Cowboys. They had 31 first downs against the Eagles. The most yards the Packers have had all year, 491, came against the Eagles who lost that game. So at least this year, um, the defense holding its end of the bargain is is the biggest equation here. Right, we beat the Bears not because the offense was great, because the defense was great. We beat the Vikings not because the offense was great, because the defense was great. Now, some of these games, it's both. Right, the Dallas Cowboys, the defense held up its end. The offense put up 34. It was both. Uh, the Eagles game, however, the offense was on point. The defense couldn't do anything, and we lost the game. Right, 27 points is fine. It's not a guaranteed win in the NFL, but it's not a bad day, especially when you're talking about nearly 500 yards of offense, 414 passing yards. That's not great. Now, there were two turnovers, which is brutal. But the Packers had three turnovers against Detroit in one, had two turnovers against the Vikings in one. should also be noted, and it's kind of cheesy because they've only lost a game, so there's a lot of correlations with a lot of things. But the Packers are undefeated when they have a turnover in the game. should also be noted they're 1-1 one one when they don't get a turnover. So, again, it's, they, they only have one loss, so there's a lot of things that happen that they're undefeated in. Anyways, let's take a break, and then we'll look a little bit more specifically at the strengths and weaknesses of each team and how the Packers maybe could uh, take advantage of this. Again, it's going to be kind of difficult because the Packers do so many different things and are so malleable. It was a lot easier last year when you knew what Mike McCarthy was going to do, but uh, we'll take a look at it anyways after the break. So it's officially last call for anybody wanting to go to the Chargers game. If you've been debating, you're in the area, whatever, you want to go to the game, let me just encourage you. Download the Vivid Seats mobile app, peruse around, see what you got available, and get yourself to the game. But why should I use Vivid Seats? Great question. First of all, everyone that downloads the app is automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, which means you can earn credit back when you make purchases. Great for people that tend to go to events more than once a year or whatever, even if it's once a year. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, and then of course, the promo code. So whether it's this game, the next game, a big concert, whatever it is you're planning on going to, make sure you download the app and join the Vivid Seats Royalty, Loyalty, I always say Royalty, Loyalty Rewards Program today. And when it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So before we get started, let me give you the results of the t-shirt contest. No, not that t-shirt contest. Get out of here. In the Facebook group, I wanted to get sort of a top 10 list of what everybody thought would be the coolest t-shirts. Now, Facebook polls don't really work very well, but uh, we're going to call this official anyways and go from 10 to 1. At number 10, Zadarius and Preston as superheroes. At number 9, Aaron Rodgers dressed as Hal from uh, Happy Gilmore with a caption that says, You're in my house now. At number 8, JK47. At number 7, J.K. Scott booting a nuke. At number six, again, Preston and Zadarius, but this time with the caption, Did We Just Become Best Friends? I think that's from Step Brothers. 
At number five, Preston and Zadarius as Super Smith, Smith Brothers, which is, you know, doing like a Mario thing. At number four, Matt LaFleur was some kind of a dodgeball thing. It's not really well thought out, but something to do with that. Number three, All Gas, No Break. At number two, Zadarius Smith with a Pennywise visor or mask or something to that effect. I also like the idea of him as Predator. And then the number one, which was a bit surprising, but it would be very, very cool, and I've got somebody working on it right now. We'll see what the results of that are, but Jair face paint silhouette. So I've got some different ideas on how to bring that to life, but um, I'm going to get a few different things here working. Um, I've got one person working on the Jair thing, and I'll maybe go contact a few other designers, have them work on a few different concepts, and we'll see what they can come up with. And hopefully, relatively soon, we'll have um, a nice little store with a bunch of options, so you can go out and buy some t-shirts and whatnot. But anywho's, all right, anyway, so looking at, let's start with the Chargers on offense against the Packers defense. Now, I don't really know why. As, I, as I'm looking at this, you're going, oh man, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, that's crazy. This is going to be tough. Melvin Gordon is currently ranked as one of the worst running backs in football right now. Struggling. Now, a lot of this probably not necessarily as far as his PFF grade, but the, the inability to run in general, a lot of that could have to do with the offensive line being really, really bad. But that's going to work to the Packers' advantage. Although, I mean, again, every time I look at this and go, oh, look, a bad offensive line, the, the Packers' interior should be great. They never are. They're never able to stop the run. They're never able to generate a bunch of pressure like I expect. Oh, look, another garbage offensive line. The, 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 boy, oh, boy, Kenny's just going to dominate this guy. Never seems to work out the way I think. But there's a really good opportunity to force them to be one-dimensional very quickly. The problem then becomes stopping that other dimension, because the other dimension includes, again, um, Keenan Allen, it includes Hunter Henry, and it includes Austin Eckler, to a somewhat smaller degree, Mike Williams, who was an early first-round pick. Um, Not necessarily a bust, but considering where he was drafted, you could probably comfortably call him a bust. But he's decent, and he's big, and he's scary. Now, obviously, my preference here, in terms of just breaking things down, and I know the Packers aren't super big on shadowing, they do do it at times. Uh, Week three, they had Jair shadow Emmanuel Sanders. Week four, they locked Kevin King up on Alshon Jeffrey. Week five, they had Jair on Amari Cooper. And then week six, they kept Jair on Marvin Jones and Kevin King on Kenny Galladay. Now, that one kind of makes sense. Kenny Galladay is, you know, just sort of the bigger kind of guy. Now, in this matchup, I would say that it makes sense to lock up Keenan Allen with Jair. Now, Keenan Allen's 6'2", 211. He's not a small guy, but Mike Williams is 6'4", 220. So keeping Kevin King on Mike Williams makes a lot of sense because the one thing Mike Williams is good at is the one thing that I think Kevin King can kind of handle. So I want to isolate Kevin King over there. I want Jair primarily to be on Allen. Um, And then in three wide receiver sets, I'm not going to have him shadow Allen necessarily because Allen is going to kick inside of the slot. I'm just going to probably leave Tremont there. And I'll probably also keep King over on Williams so Alexander then would be covering uh, Andre Patton, who just, you know, he's there for, I don't know why he's there. So in other words, I think if anyone's going to shadow anyone, I think Kevin King's going to shadow um, Mike Williams, and that would be pretty much it. And Alexander would get a heavy dose of Keenan Allen, but it's not necessarily shadowing because you're not going there every single time. Although I don't, I guess I don't know what the, at what point is it shadowing? I don't know how they did because week three, Marlon Humphrey was on Sammy Watkins 43.9% of the time. They called it shadowing. So I guess I don't really know how they determined that. Maybe it's as opposed to staying on one side of the field. I don't know. But anyways, that would be my expectation. And I don't mind that. 
I think Keenan Allen's a tough matchup for anybody, um, and the height is maybe a little bit of a problem, but probably not. 6'2 is, is big, but it's not towering tight end style big. So that's the biggest thing there. The, the, the one real big matchup issue that we're going to have here then is Hunter Henry. Now we're going to have to figure out how to utilize the tight ends and the uh, linebackers to minimize the damage that Hunter Henry is going to be doing. Um, important note, I don't know if you saw it, but that big play to uh, Travis Kelsey last week that looked like a blown assignment from Blake Martinez was not a blown assignment to Blake Martinez. They were in man coverage, and that was not Blake's man. So that is good to know. And it's also important because I went through the PFF stuff, and I said, according to PFF, he did not have one single, I think it was no touchdowns given up, and I was thinking, I don't know if that's true. Well, apparently PFF picked up on it, which kind of just goes to show again, even if I were to do my grades, I don't know as much as they do. And even though PFF doesn't know exactly what the team knows, they certainly seem to be doing a better job of gauging it than we are. Because everybody here is looking at that going, oh, way to go, Blake! And um, the team's like, no, that that wasn't Blake. And again, PFF kind of picked up on what the assignment actually was. So, interesting tidbit. But they got to figure something out. Whether it's Amos, Savage, Sullivan, Martinez, uh, you know, some kind of a zone thing. I I don't really know, but, you know, we got to figure out how to minimize that because the tight ends have been kind of, kind of hurting a little bit. And then the other really big challenge, again, is something we haven't really seen all that much, and that's Austin Eckler and a receiver kind of like Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield. Not that we haven't seen anything like it ever, but he is right now uh, graded as the highest, the number one receiving back in football. So it does add that extra dimension, which which kind of makes it tough because you can look at it across the board and say there's an answer, but it's the multidimensional aspect of it that makes it tough. It's not really like, well, I, I guess you can't really say the Vikings anymore, but you kind of can because you, you know their strength and you see it, right? You, they've got a running back who's good at running. They've got two wide receivers that are good at you know, whatever it is they do. So you know they're good and you know it's challenging, but you kind of know what's going on. They're either going to run it with their really good running back or they're going to throw it to one of their two good wide receivers. This is, you know, we've got one really good wide receiver. He plays on the outside. He plays in the slot. We've got a, a really good tight end we could throw to who also can stay in and block. We've got a good, not great number two wide receiver that you got to account for because he's six foot four, two twenty. He's an absolute monster. We've got Melvin Gordon, who's a freak of a running back. Even though he has been struggling this year, you really got to watch out for him because he can break one from anywhere. Big, hulking, monster, freakish guy. And then we got Austin Eckler, who can run it, but is especially adept at, you know, being a receiver out of the backfield. So as far as all the misdirection stuff that the Packers like to run. If the Chargers were to employ a little bit of that, it could really keep the Packers off base and make it complicated to try to, you know, to oversimplify things as far as just go get the quarterback or stop the run or kind of basic things like that. They have the tools to where they can make adjustments to beat whatever it is the Packers are doing, so they're going to need to really just play solid fundamental football in order to hold off the Chargers. And again, everybody's seemingly been able to do it with the exception of, what was it, the Colts and the Dolphins or something? So the Chargers haven't quite figured out how to utilize their weapons, but they do have the weapons. The biggest weakness for this team is going to be the offensive line. If Russell Okung is playing, which as of right now it seems as though he is, he had a calf injury, he was limited on Wednesday full the rest of the week, Um, he is going to be their one talented uh, offensive lineman. He is their left tackle. However, looking at Feeney and Questenberry and Schofield and Tevy, really, 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 really bad. Sam Tevy at right tackle is just horrible. And so Preston, if he's over on that side, is going to have a field day. But again, we got to get the guys on the inside. If that means bringing you know extra pressure from the middle, let's just do it. We got to get more production up the middle of the field. 
we got to really start assaulting this this middle of these offensive lines because we've gone up against some really terrible ones. But that's sort of the general breakdown. And I think as far as the matchups, you know, just the basic stop the run, stop the pass, right? Stop the, the run up the middle. You know, the defensive line and linebackers beating the offensive line and running backs and the corners stopping the wide receivers, although not perfect, I think it's good enough. The biggest thing is going to be the tight end and the receiving back, which is going to fall on, you know, the, the safeties in particular. We've got a lot of three safety looks out there with Savage and Amos and Redmond or Sullivan, who really needs to get a lot more time because literally he has just been on fire, graded as I think the highest graded cornerback we have in foot in on our team right now. Limited sample size, but I mean, he's he's one tick above Jair Alexander just to show how impressive he's been when he gets on the field. But those guys are going to be the ones that are going to need to be able to fly around and account for Austin Eckler and Hunter Henley, Henry flying around trying to be disruptive. Um, now, as far as their offense, the um, the only guy that might miss is Jeremy Davis, who's a wide receiver, who it doesn't matter. Now, on the flip side, however, when the Packers are on offense and the Chargers are on defense, they are missing Cortez Broughton. He's out. Doubtful is Justin Jones and Brandon Meebane. And then Roderick Teamer, the safety, is also doubtful. So right now, what we're looking at is a defense that has a very good, arguably one of the best, if not the best, pass rushers in football in Joey Bosa. You've got Melvin Ingram on the other side, who is also pretty talented. And then Casey Hayward, who's one of the top corners in football. But outside of that, no other good corners, terrible linebackers, and a couple of pretty not great safeties. And Teamer was their strong safety, who was not very good, who was replacing uh, one Mr. Derwin James, who is also on IR. Should also be noted, free safety Nasir Adderley, who they drafted. So they should have a really good duo in Nasir Adderley and Derwin James. Both of them ended up on IR, so they end up with Jenkins and Teamer, and now Teamer is out. So they're on to their third strong safety and their second free safety. So really, as far as what do you need to do, get the ball out quick because you got to minimize the impact of Bosa and Ingram. Running the ball should not be all that difficult. I know Bosa and Ingram are tough, but really soft up the middle right now, especially with Jerry Tillery, one of the worst defensive tackles in football right now. He's a rookie. He's primarily a pass rusher, but he hasn't been doing that. And his weakness as a run defender is very, very evident. And then, you know, Hayward, maybe they're just going to keep Hayward on Devontae. I think that's going to mean that there's going to be a couple of occasional, um, you know, Devontae's, if that's their decision, Devontae's going to get open. Because I don't care who you are, single coverage, there's going to be a good battle. But he's going to win a few. Outside of that, though, they don't have anyone that can cover anyone. Um, I was a real big fan of Desmond King, was bragging him up a ton because I really liked him in college. He's really struggled this year. And again, you look at all the weapons that we've got with Val, you know, MVS and Allison and Lazard, Kumaro, and you just rotate them out. You try different stuff. There's more than enough options. Attack in the middle of the defense with the linebackers, with the wide receivers, with the running backs. They're soft. The linebackers and safeties are soft. So there's a ton of different ways to attack this, and there's not a lot of answers that the uh, Chargers are going to have. And if they're, you know, even if they need to jumpstart something, put Devontae in the slot. Force Hayward to go up against Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Put Devontae in the slot. Put Lazard out there. Or, you know, run a bunch set. Or, you know, there's a million different things to do. And the problem is, again, for the Chargers, and it's it's a very good defense. It really is. But the problem is they don't have a lot of answers, and they're just running out of players. Very good defense, but they're running out of talent. At some point, right, I, I talked about how it's, 
it's more than just players. There's also a defensive or a, a, a team component, a locker room component, fighting and battling and all that stuff. But at some point, there is a lack of talent that just takes over. So I, I don't really see a strategy that I dislike, um, but they need to be able to execute. Running the ball, I think, should be a viable option. It's going to be tough with Bosa and Ingram, but there's enough uh, of a lack of talent with the defensive tackles and the linebackers that there should be some holes available. Uh, again, the ability to attack the middle of the defense with their safeties and their linebackers, with whether it's you know Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis, uh, any of the running backs, Danny Vitale. The difference between the two is the, the Packers have weapons but the Packers also have ways to mitigate the weapons that the Chargers have, and I don't know that you can say the same thing for the Chargers. The Packers have weapons on offense, but the Chargers' ability to stop it, although they do have options, and if they're able to get to the quarterback quickly, it can create some chaos and some some difficulty. But again, I, I, I just to put it simply, both teams at full strength, the Packers walk away with this one. I, I shouldn't say full strength. At, at full, you know, they're playing at their best. The Chargers at their best, the Packers at their best. I think the Packers win this nine times out of ten. Although technically it should be ten times out of ten, right? Because the, the, there's no variability. It's just your best. I don't know. Whatever. Um, and the final thing I wanted to look at, the PFF green line, which is sort of their, their betting thing. PFF is actually less. So the, the, the market right now is at three and a half. So apparently my bookie's a little high and generous toward the Packers saying four because the market right now is at three and a half in favor of the Packers. PFF only has them at minus 2.8 for the Packers, and they believe that the Chargers have a 52.9% chance of covering that minus 2.5. So, yeah, just not a lot of super big confidence in the Packers' ability against the Chargers, which is kind of just surprising. I get it from an analytical standpoint looking at it at the two teams and saying, I think there's a lot of, of argument to be made that they're evenly matched in a lot of ways. But just looking at the teams, one of them is on fire. One of them can't get going and just fire their offensive coordinator. It's just weird that they're getting so much respect. But anyways, the uh, the really interesting thing here, again, they've got their um, ELO ranking as well as their Massey rankings. And this is sort of similar to what Football Outsiders has with their DVOA, which is adjusted for competition. Their overall ELO ranking... They have the Chargers as the 18th best team in football. They have the Packers number five overall. Now, that's not where they are overall in terms of their grades, but again, this is adjusted for competition. They have the Packers number five overall. Defensively, they have the Chargers rated as 18th and the Packers 10th, 10th best uh, offense in football. Here's where it gets exciting but also nerve-wracking. Offense. They have the Chargers as the number two offense in all of football. I don't know how. I don't know why. They are uh, 17th in yards and 23rd in points, but they haven't gone up against good teams, so I don't know how you adjust them upward. I mean, I guess the Bears' defense is pretty good. The Titans' defense is pretty good. The Broncos' defense. So these are decent defenses. Colts, Lions, Texans, eh, Dolphins, Broncos, Steelers, Titans, Bears. I guess I could understand that from a defensive standpoint to get a big boost. I don't know how you get that big of a boost from it, Unless we're saying these are just, they've gone up against the best defenses in football. But anyways, the Green Bay Packers, PFF with their adjusted Massey rankings, have the Green Bay Packers number one in the NFL right now. They have them as the top offense in football. So essentially, according to PFF and their uh, opponent adjusted rankings, this is the number one and the number two offense in football. 
which is interesting because it kind of is, is weird and, and much as I want to disagree with it, it kind of plays into what we're seeing Vegas is saying across the board. It's going to be close and it's going to be high scoring. That's, that's, that would not be my general interpretation of it, but based on this, it kind of makes sense. So all I can really say is, is to kind of go back to what I was saying before. Don't expect this to be an automatic win. I think some people are making that mistake. Don't do that. People are talking about Carolina and getting past this game. Don't do that. However, if the Packers do beat them relatively comfortably, remember what I said about the whole cohesion as a team in the locker room and being more than just the, the sum of your parts? Because then that's what we're talking about. And that, again, this is sort of a case study. I want the Packers to beat them handily, well, partially because I'm a Packers fan, but also because I want to kind of prove that concept out. The Chargers have the players to, to put up a good fight and possibly even win this game. But I don't know that they have the team to do it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Anyways, I'm going to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.